Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, have you ever had this sort of person in your life? Uh, my my father-in-law has to be like the most organised person you've ever met. Like if you ask Les where you get some double-sided sticky tape from, he'll tell you. He'll say, go out to my shed, uh, open the door, and when you walk out to the shed, it already smells like jiff. It's that clean, you know, like three kilometres away, just glistening. Um, go out there, go to the, the third drawer on the right, and then the third compartment down from that, and then the back left-hand corner, you'll see some double-sided sticky tape. And sure enough, there it is. If anyone know people like that in their life, that organised, anyone one of those people? Come on, you can admit it. It's going to be a good thing tonight. You, you see, because I, on the other hand, I'm not that sort of person. When I was first dating Kristen, uh, you know, we would, we would hang out and in, in order to go and meet her, I'd almost have to wear uh, crampons, you know, those ice pick type shoes that you've got to wear. I'd almost have to wear them to climb over my clothes and the mess of clothes mixed with university notes uh, in order to go and meet her. Have we got anyone who lives like that? Yeah. Okay. See, more honest. <laughs> um, I think God's a God of order. That's what I've started to realise. And I'm, I'm a recovering I'm a recovering clothes climber um, because I married Kristen. She's very organised like a dad. Um, but I'm, I'm a recovering climber and I realise the more I read the Bible that we serve an ordered God. I mean, look at the planets. Look at the solar system. Look at the space. And it's important to understand the way that God loves order um, because when we are faced with the multitude of things that seem to hit us in life, life can easily disorder. Life can easily overload. Life can easily end up looking like this. Take a look at this picture. <laughs> Is that a metaphor for your life tonight? Who here can relate to that picture? You know, there are, there are bags on that truck that say university assignments and bills and family issues and health issues. And Can you relate to that? What I want to say to you tonight is that God doesn't intend for your life to look like this. God intends for your life to look like this. Ah. Oh. <laughs> you just feel that? Did you guys just hear yourselves? Like everyone just audibly sighed. You see, it's, 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 it's physiological, isn't it? This Kurt Thompson guy knows what he was talking about, our guest speaker last week. You know, we respond to this because we're built for order. And here's the big idea of the series that we're going into. Life works better when there's breathing room. Wouldn't you agree? And the multitudes of the things that are coming into us, life works better when there's breathing room, but it's so hard to get breathing room, isn't it? Do you find that? Do you find that tension where it's just, it feels like everything is crushing in on you and you feel like your life is that truck? It's just a heap of thing pressing in you. Why is that? Why is it so hard to get breathing room in our lives and I know it is like let's not kid ourselves I know I know that most of you have you've probably already thought about five different things already and we're only three minutes into the message right who's checked their phone already I was watching for screens yeah <laughs> don't you love don't you love the vulnerability and the, order, the honesty in this community I love that that's fine we'll talk afterwards Kat it's okay but I know how it goes there's things that are constantly pressing in on us grabbing our attention distracting us and so that's why it's so tough to get this breathing room. You know, in fact, uh, there was a lady, Judith Shulovitz, a Jewish lady, a couple of years ago, wrote, wrote an article where she was talking about the ways that she rebelled against her Sabbath observances from her religious Jewish upbringing. We'll talk a bit more about Sabbath next week, but 
She writes something like this. She said, My mood would darken every weekend until by Saturday afternoon I'd be unresponsive and morose. My normal leisure routines left me, nonetheless feeling impossibly restless. And then I began to do something that as a teenager I was profoundly put off by my religious education. I could never have imagined wanting to do. Here's what she did. She says, I dropped into a nearby synagogue. And here's what she writes. Finally, I developed the theory for my condition. I was suffering from the lack of Sabbath rest. Can you hear what was happening for her? She's saying, even even in leisure activities, I needed breathing room. Breathing room, is it's so hard to get. It's so hard to... To find, and part of the reason why, like, let, let's look at our modern situation, a couple of reasons. I think the first one is, are you noticing how jobs seem to be getting more and more insecure? Some of you might be working in workplaces where you're watching people get retrenched or redundant or part-time. Jobs are becoming more and more less secure, and so we're feeling like we're having to work harder in order to impress. And then you have situations like the fact that we're all overworked. Part of the reason is that they're saying now, some of the research says that the, the, the pay levels of top-level managers and executives is something like um, four times that of the rate of the lowest-paid workers. Um, the, the gap between that is four times greater than what it was 20 years ago. And part of what that means is if you start going up the ladder right in your work, you feel the pressure because you're getting paid. You're getting paid to perform, and there's a whole multitude of people that would love your paycheck. And so we're becoming more and more restless. The other one, technology. I love technology. Um, we all know, we, you know, a lot of us, evening service crew, we love technology. But, but it's constantly pressing on, in on us. You know, I was at, uh, down at the super center. It's a Dremoyne or Birkenhead Point. Birkenhead Point. Having lunch the other weekend. And there was this, this gorgeous little girl, nine years old or something, having lunch seemingly all by herself, even though she was sitting next to a father because he spent the whole lunchtime engrossed in a phone conversation on his mobile phone while she just sat there staring into space eating a burger on a Saturday. I don't know about you, that, that didn't happen in my childhood. We, did, we didn't have mobile phones in my childhood. And if he did, they were like the size of a car battery, so no child or person could carry them. But you know, you see how the way that technology is pressing in? on the distractions and the restlessness that we have in our life. Here's the last one, and it's a cultural one. Is it just me, or culturally, is, is being high capacity so hot right now? Have you noticed that? That it, it sort of feels like there's this been this Silicon Valleyization of our culture that says, you're not somebody or you're not someone unless you're a super performer. Are you feeling that? where you've got to be high capacity and there's the latest high-impact course and the latest productivity course and we're all trying to squeeze it out. We're all trying to become more and more high capacity. And, and look, by the way, what we're going to get to in all of this is we're not saying that high capacity bad and low capacity good. What we'll see from this is that it's not saying that God just wants us just to give up on what we do. But we're in trouble are you noticing that we f- it feels like we're in, we're in the most restless, overworked, workaholic society that history's ever seen? Are you feeling that? Or is it just me? We need some breathing room. We can't get it. Now, for a lot of us, we desire this, but more dangerously, there's going to be a point where this is more than just a desire, but it actually becomes dire. 
You know, and as a pastor, there is not, there's nothing fun. There's nothing joyful about having to sit with a married couple who have been so engrossed in this small business that after seven years, they look at each other and say, who are you? There's nothing fun about seeing friends that have pushed themselves to the edge of financial bankruptcy because they've bought the consumeristic nature of the society that's around us and, and, and they're constantly pushing themselves to a lack of margin with their finances. There's nothing fun about seeing the disintegration of family and kids that, like that little girl at Birkenhead Point that are seemingly feeling like they become effectively parentless because mums and dads are being distracted or so overloaded with their work and the things that they've got in their life that they can't pay them attention. We need breathing room. Life works better when there's breathing room. We've got to have breathing room. So the question is, what is breathing room? Here we go, let's work a definition. I reckon Andy Stanley, who's talked on this, he comes up with the best definition. Uh, breathing room is the space between our current pace and our limits. Heard that? Breathing room is the space between our current pace and our limits. And so straight away, that's just some good news and some bad news for some of us. Probably bad news for most of us. You want the bad news? You have limits. <laughs> right? You have limits. Anyone found their limits yet? Because you will. Now, there's two ways to find your limits. Uh, the way that you can find your limit is the way that the, your boss can help you find your limits. <laughs> You can work and you can work and work and work. You can push and push and push. You can let the culture tell you what your limits are. Or the whole part of this series is you can let God tell you what your limits are. Either the culture is going to tell you or God's going to tell you. The bad news for you is you've got limits. You've got limits. And what we'll see, in fact, is that limits can be a good thing. But you've got limits. Now, if you haven't discovered your limits... I can, do you want a few tips on how you discover what your limits are or how you know what they, whether you're getting close to your limits? you want a few tips? All right, here's, here's the first one. You get snappy. <laughs> Ever known friends that get snappy? How's the weather today? What do you mean by that? <laughs> what are you saying? Well, I look fat in this. Is that, is that what you're saying? No? <laughs> you get snappy. You get stressed. Another way that you know that you've reached the limit is that your vision focuses in. You're constantly obsessing on particular issues. It's a bit like this. If I, if I preach this whole message like this on the edge here, if I did this, if, if I just preached the message like what, how how much are you guys going to listen to the content of what I'm saying? What are you really thinking about? Is he going to roll an ankle? <laughs> we had a senior minister that was like that, didn't we? Our beloved, my predecessor, lived on the edge all the time. Not that gracefully either, by the way. So I'm going to stand back here. Um, but your vision focuses in on what you've got. That's how you know that you are hitting your limits. So whichever way it is, you're going to find your limits and you can let the culture tell you or you can let God tell you. So the first thing is breathing room is the space between your current pace and your limits. And if you haven't pushed up against them yet, then here's the good news. You can discover what those limits are by reading the word of God. What you'll find when we read these obscure passages is, what, what is happening here? Let's read from Leviticus 19.9. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. And then you have in Deuteronomy chapter 24, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it there for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. 
Now, so what is happening here in these passages is that it's that God is ordaining, God is, let's be real, God is mandating limits into the lives of the people of Israel. He's saying, if you harvest, only go this far. Now, some of you are going, yep, that is exactly the sort of religious God that I thought he was. That's exactly the religious sort of mandating, no, 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 God of the Old Testament. Um, and that's true. He is a God who says no a lot. But what I want to put to you is that isn't that what every loving parent does? You know, you have a little child, Mummy, can I have my fifth red frog at seven o'clock at night? No, you can't have another red frog. Yeah. Mummy, can I keep playing? It's 2 a.m. in the morning. No, you can't. Mummy, can I keep playing a little bit more time on the Xbox? No, you can't. Mummy, can I walk across the road? No, there's three lanes and there's a truck coming that way. No, no, no. We've been there, right? So much of the role of a parent is to define the limits and the boundaries in a child's life. And, and in fact, our guest speaker last week, Kurt Thompson. Who heard Kurt, by the way? You, you enjoyed his stuff? Awesome. Kurt, who's a Christian psychiatrist, he had a fascinating point, And he said this, it was at the conference that we were at. He said, crucially... God's no's in life are in fact as important as his yes. They're as crucially important to him loving us as his yes. Of course, he's a God. That's, no, 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 no. But that's, that's a loving God. You're discerning the limits of a loving God. And here's what Kurt says from one of his blogs. He says, We currently live in a culture in which we are at pains to imagine that love could possibly offer anything but yes as the answer to anything we desire which we perceive as good. This extends to our impressions of God. We, we would be hard-pressed to imagine a God whose love is anything but kind, generous, empathetic and welcoming. And no doubt we know that he hates injustice, arrogance, abuse and any other number of social or personal ills that we might easily name. But here, And here it is. But we are not as seamlessly able or willing to imagine that God would ever say no as an explicit function of loving us. Have you ever found yourself when you pray for things, that when we pray for God, we're constantly praying for more? God, I, God, I'm praying for my career. Please, I want that promotion. I want that influence. I want that manager role. I, I, I want the expanded influence in my life. I want that fame. I, I, I want that in, inclusion. Have you ever noticed how whenever we ask God for things, we want more? We want yes and a yes and a yes. Now, could it be in those moments, if this doesn't happen, that it's not God not at work or unanswered prayer, but it's in fact a loving no? Could it, could it be that if God actually answers your prayer and gives you the promotion that you want and you move into that role, could it be that God might actually know by virtue of the character and the stage of formation that it's at at the moment that if he sends you into that, it will burn you and crush you and wreck you and run you at risk of blaming him for the whole lot? Could, it be, could that be possible? See how it works? That so much of life is coming to deal with his no. Now, where am I going with all of this? God's loving no, his limits. He's mandating this. Gleaning's just an example, by the way, of the no. Uh, there's some other ones we'll talk about. Sabbath, rest, you must have a day off. What sort of God mandates that you must have a day off? Um, it's the sort of God that rescued a people out of slavery where you never could have a day off. So to have a day off is actually a declaration of freedom. It's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. Here's another one that you may not ever see this as his loving, no? You ready for it? Tithing. 
God says, I want to spend my money on this and I want to spend my money on that and I want to buy this and I want to buy that. God says, no, I want a portion of that. And it's his loving, ordained limits. Now, here's the question. Why? If that is true, why does he do this? Why does he limit us like this? Now, do I really have to answer this question? Like, don't you know it in and of yourself already? Are you sensing where I'm going with this? That if God doesn't step in and mandate these no's in his life, all we look like the overloaded truck. And in fact, could it be true that, look, of course, yeah, there are times in which these things unexpectedly press in on us. Unexpected bills, unexpected tragedy, unexpected health stuff. But if we're real with ourselves... Don't you find that half the time when we're pushing ourselves to the limit, it's not because of some unasked for external factors, but because we've done it to ourselves. Why is that? That's where Stanley, uh, Andy Stanley puts it really well too. He says this simple word, fear. We're afraid. You know, it's, not like, it's not like you guys are going, Sam, this is great, great message tonight. I really hope by Friday I'm going to be overworked and I've done 80 hours and I've stayed back at work and I've neglected a whole heap of friendships. I hope that happens. Anyone thinking that way tonight? You need prayer. <laughs> None of you are going to want to move into that sort of week this week. But for some of you, it's going to happen, right? You know it because you're just coming off the hangover of last week's 80-hour week, right? We, we don't do that and yet... It's sometimes we feel like no one ever asked us to do that and it just sort of happened. Why did it happen? Because we're afraid. We've got, here's the first one, write it down, it's a biblical term. It's called FOMO. <laughs> Fear of missing out. I had to look that up, by the way. That does. <laughs> you know you're getting a little bit older when you're like, what's FOMO? <laughs> I'm doing the Connies and everything. Give us a break. It's all... Well, anyway, so fear of missing out. <laughs> we do. We feel that we miss out all the time. We pack so much into our schedules because we don't want to miss an event or an activity. You know, parents here load their lives, load their kids' lives so full of stuff because they're worried that they're going to miss out and getting into the right school or the right university. So they start flashing little Einstein cards at them when they're three. Right? Fear of missing out. Then you have the other one. There's not an acronym for it. It's just fear of comparisons. Ever felt that one? The constant onslaught that the world that we live in at the moment is pressing against us, particularly in this social media realm. You guys see there's an article in the Sydney Morning Herald today. I felt like it was God-ordained. But there was an article saying that um, Instagram and Snapchat are probably the worst platforms for the mental health of young people around the world at the moment. In fact, they're starting, you've seen this? They're starting to actually do studies to say that these platforms are actually causing some of the mental health challenges in young people today. And here's part of the reason why they're saying that's the case. It says here in the article, it's interesting to see that Instagram and Snapchat ranking as the worst for mental health and well-being. Both platforms are very image-focused and it appears they may be driving feelings of inadequacy and anxiety in young people. You felt that? After the service, can someone show me that bit of Snapchat that makes your eyes really big and your face really skinny? <laughs> but that's the deal, right? That's what's happening. 
And particularly for you girls, I feel for you. I hate it. Constant comparisons, constant skinning down, constant making up, constant sideways poses. When was that ever a thing before Instagram? <laughs> Some of these poor girls have to contort themselves into, an image, into, into a position for a selfie that is just sometimes not human. You know what I'm saying? But I, 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 it's constantly there, right? And it's the constant comparisons. And what this drives is what another preacher calls um, the inner voice of self-reproach. It's the minute you see that image that you go, I'm not like that. I'm not as skinny as she is. I'm not as good as them. I don't have that golden life. I don't have those gorgeous kids. I don't have that hunky-looking guy. It's all of those things. We do this right. The comparisons that happen, and here's what happens. When we fear that we're not going to get that, we drive ourselves. We drive ourselves, we push to the limit, we push and push and push, and we look like the overloaded truck. Are you hearing me? True of you? Hmm? Don't say that out loud. So could it be... Thank you. It's a bit of preordained breathing room. Could it be that we push ourselves to the limit so much because we're afraid? Um, we're afraid that God is not going to turn up. You think gleaning was easy for these guys? When it said glean your harvest, it meant do 80, 90% of the field in the harvest. That is equivalent to saying you have worked like crazy for the entire season. You've risked your crop. Now's the opportunity to harvest it. Uh, and on the top of every bit of that wheat there, you need to imagine a dollar sign for these people. And here is God saying, don't take all of it. Leave the rest behind. That was an act of faith. It was an act of trust. Could it be that we drive ourselves because we're afraid? So someone or something, you know, because people are saying, some of you have been pushing back on me tonight already from about minute three, haven't you? Some of you are going, you do not know my boss and you, you, you do not know what my workplace is like. If I go in there tomorrow, my boss asked me to do something, or if 5.15 hits and I'm walking out the door and my boss says, what the heck are you doing? And I turn to him and say, I'm gleaning. <laughs> I'm going to get fired. Like, it's nice for you. You're a pastor. You guys like get to go to work, sing Kumbaya, a few worship songs, go home, right? <laughs> you don't know what it's like. Uh, look, I hear the stories and I get it. I'm, I, that's the tension. It's why it's going to take us four weeks to get through this. But here's the thing, you, you will never go into the Bible and find the word breathing room in the, in the index that we call the concordance. You'll see the word gleaning. And here's what it means for each and every one of us. If you're feeling that tension tonight, if you're thinking this is silly, this is countercultural, my answer to you is exactly. This is the sort of thing that will make you different from the world because what it is going to take for you to get breathing room in your life is not so much a matter of discipline, but this is going to be an act of faith. An act of faith that you may leave work at early and you may begin to develop a reputation. You may even lose your job. But an act of faith that says, Lord, I'm starting to reach my limits here. I don't know how much more this can push. I need to glean here and I'm going to trust you with the rest. Does that make sense? And in fact, that's why Jesus is an act of faith. He says, Matthew 6.31, here we get to that verse tonight. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? 
What shall we drink? For the pagans, the non-believers run after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Now, what he's not saying there, he's not saying non-believers bad, Christians good. What he's simply saying there is that they run after these things because they don't have the perspective that you should have. You should have the perspective that your heavenly father knows what you need and so therefore it should be the thing that gives you the peace and the confidence to do what you can do and then leave the rest to him, to glean and, and let me show you that perspective tonight. I've got, to, I've got to give you this. This was awesome. I got this this week. If, if, if there's one point you get tonight, it's this. You have to forget the rest, it's this. If you're still on your phone, put it down and get this. <laughs> I thought this whole gleaning thing when I came to it and picked this passage was all about, you know, we are all running busy lives. I know that. I sense that pastorally. I all thought it was about, yeah, this series is going to be about helping you build some balance, some personal balance in your life. And yes, it is. Until I read this passage, and it goes far deeper than that. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 24 again. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for, leave it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Are you getting this? God wants you to have breathing room in your life, not just so you can live a balanced life. He wants you to have breathing room in your life so you can bless people with that breathing room. We're going to talk about it. Bless them with your time. Bless them with relationship. Bless them with your finances. That's where we're going for the next couple of weeks. But if you want some perspective on why we need to do this, it's not just for your balance. It's for, it's for someone else. And... That's what he's saying in all of this. God is saying this, and here's what this process of gleaning is. God is saying, look, for heaven's sake, limit yourself. Don't do all you can do. Don't push yourself to the edge. Don't do all you can do so that I can come in and multiply what you did do. Did you hear that? Don't do all you can do so that I can come in and multiply what you did do. Trust me with this child. Build in some breathing room and let me work in that breathing room. And here's the thing as we get ready to finish up tonight. I think this could be profound for us as a church. Because we're preaching this message not tonight at, at the Byron Bay Church of Christ. You know, where there is breathing room galore up there. I was up there a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and we're in crow's nests. I know where we are. I know, I know what a lot of your lives are like. It doesn't just have to be work. It can be relationships. It can be the pressures of all that's coming in. And here's where this can be profound because, look, for this whole season we've been saying we believe God is calling us to be different from the world for the world. We're to be attractive to the world and attract dead to the world. We're to be fireflies. We're to be a city on the hill. We're supposed to be beautiful where people look in and say, wow, that's a wonderful place. And it's hit me this week that I thought maybe the way that we will be that type of community is by being the sort of people in a culture that is so... Pressing in on everyone. It's crushing everyone at the moment that we would be people of breathing room. It's going to mean a heat for us. The team, we're, we're all processing. We're going, how much of our ministry have we been driving, 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 driving? Why? Because of fear. Because we're worried if we don't drive ministry hard enough, then people don't turn up. And if people don't turn up, they don't tithe. Right? And they don't tithe, then the church doesn't run. You see how ridiculous it is? We pastors think that way. Hello? 
you know, what is that? It's, 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 it's the fear coming back again. But I had a dream. I have a dream. <laughs> I had a dream. I had a dream like, here's how we know we'd be a people of, of breathing room. I had a dream that it was 5 p.m. and everyone was in church. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I know, it was a dream. It was just a dream. Sandy's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but can you imagine if we had so much breathing room in our lives? We all turned up at five. We didn't have to run that funny little countdown thing that we do with the picture of the city that tells you that the service is about to start. Like everyone's here. Everyone's got so much breathing room. They're already in. They're praying. They're just waiting. They're talking to one another. Like there's so many people here. Mikey sort of has to go, well, should we all start now, church? (laughs) Can you imagine that? That doesn't have to be five, but can you imagine if individually we took this seriously for the next four weeks and you and I each just worked out a little bit of breathing room in our lives and maybe in moment, it doesn't have to be in church, but we became the sorts of people that had capacity ready for a stranger. So that if it's in a situation like this, where you turned up 15 minutes early because you had that capacity, you'd gotten yourself a coffee, you'd sat on the brown lounge, you had so much time, you were beginning to pray, and you're asking the Holy Spirit to show you, and you're praying that God might bring someone that's never been to church before, and you see that person walk through the door, and you see the look on their face, and you can tell that the week has been a shocker for them, and you can watch that no one else is talking to them, but God has placed you there with that capacity to just get up and confidently say, how are you doing? Can you imagine what those conversations would be like? Do you think that would be the sort of place that would be beautiful to a busy world? <laughs> I reckon. We can start. We can start soon. We can start by asking the questions. How would the relationships in your life look different this week if you built more breathing room? Relationships with your spouse or your partner, with friends, with family, with your son, with your daughter? How would they look different if suddenly they all received a little bit more of breathing room because of what you're about to do now in this moment? And so, look, I've tried to be tight, as tight as any preacher like me can be in this moment. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to front load the homework because I don't trust us. (laughs) And I don't trust me and all that. And I'm going to do it with you now, but... We're going to take some time to ask ourselves simply these two questions. We're going to have some breathing room. And here they are up on the screens. First of all, we're going to ask ourselves why. Why am I like this? What is driving me towards my limits all the time? What underlying fear could there be in that that's driving me towards my limits? I want you to write this down. Take the space. More importantly, where could I start now? Where is this part of my life, which relationship, which area of my life do I immediately need to carve out some breathing room for God? We're going to do that now. I'm going to do it with you.
Did that start to feel weird for some of you? Who here started to feel themselves get itchy? Start to think, oh, this feels a bit strange. <laughs> um, see how affected by this we are. The rush and the bustle. Guys, life is short. The friendships, the marriages, the partnerships, the relationships we have, all of this is too important not to do this sort of business and carve it out. My prayer for you is that this is not the only two minutes you'll begin to carve into your life of silence this week. Let's pray as we continue to worship him. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.